0: This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast with Robert Vohr and Steve Austin. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health.
1: Hey, welcome back to CXMH, a podcast at the intersection of Christianity and mental health. My name is Robert Vore and I am here with my co-host, George Von Schnorkel. George, how are you doing <laughs> today?
2: <laughs> you got me on that one
1: dang george von schnorkel yeah is that fancy i don't know
2: (laughs) i'm pretty sure it is honestly uh,
1: i devised it as von schnorkel because that was a funny word but brooke said that schnorkel was uh, funnier so
2: schnorkel got me yeah Yeah. a little in there that's yeah that's funny yeah well how are you today
1: steve slash george
2: uh you know what i'm i'm good yeah Rocking and rollin'. We're doing this intro late on Sunday night, when we usually do it midday on Friday. Yep. So, yeah. um, different mood. Fridays, yeah. I'm usually, like, geared up for the weekend. Now it's Sunday, and I'm in, like, super chill mode. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It's all good. It's all yeah. good. Looking C- forward to... this uh, one
1: a little close here.
2: Sure. Like, are we gonna get this thing done? Um, yeah, we were both sick this week. So, that's been... Yeah. Uh, that's a little crazy, but yeah. Uh, yeah, looking forward to a good week. It's how about it's mental health awareness month?
1: It is May so. is hashtag mental health awareness month, which I've been seeing yeah. a lot of good content being put out. I know you and I are both pretty connected online in the uh, in those kind of areas, but for listeners who may not be, if you're just a pastor or a youth pastor or just a listener who's listening, I would uh, recommend that you go online and search those hashtags on Twitter or, you know, Facebook or whatever you, you've got there. And uh, there's a lot of people putting out some really good content around the subject, obviously, of, of mental health this month. So definitely check some of that out.
2: What else?
1: I don't know. Not a lot. I mean, it was a pretty crazy week last week. As you mentioned, we were both a little sick, a little under the weather. Uh, it was my finals for grad school stuff. It was also my anniversary this past week. So
2: Happy late anniversary. That's awesome. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Hey. This so, is how many years? Uh, that was three. Yeah. So.
2: Nice. Mm-hmm. Very good.
1: All right. Well, let's get into this episode here. This was awesome.
2: One of my favorites ever.
1: Yeah. Which I know that we always say that type of thing, but genuinely, this one was
2: so yeah. great. No. No. This one goes top three for me. For wow. sure. Yeah. For sure. It was maybe great. top two.
1: Hannah Brencher who is just awesome has written a bit about her mental health and experiences with that as well as faith stuff but just had a really great honest conversation and really one of the my, I think my favorite bit about this conversation was her her heart and her spirit right she uh, actually said a, a line in here a sentence in here that we both disagreed with and so we pushed back a little bit on uh what she had said and and she was so great in responding to it in a way that uh, we really got kind of behind it and what she was trying to say. And we actually both agreed with her heart in what she was saying and things like that. So that's always such a cool thing, I feel like, in an age of everybody arguing with each other in 140 characters at a time when you can say, hey, we both uh, want productive things and maybe we just want to you know, clarify this or that, just to, to be able to have those conversations. you know.
2: Yeah, I think it's important for people to know that we're not always going to agree 100% of the time with 100% of our guests. But we're here to learn from each other. We're here to expose our audience to um, different perspectives and, and that sort of thing. And so, yes, I'm with you. It was my favorite part of the episode as well to be able to, to stop and say, let's clarify this a little bit because – um yeah it, it the line initially i was like oh gosh oh no like are we gonna have to cut this line from the interview and instead we engaged in healthy dialogue and it it ended up being a beautiful thing i thought it was really cool yeah yeah
1: so well we will get to it uh, make sure you listen all the way to the end of this one at the end uh, if you know anything about hannah you know that uh, what she's known for mostly, or kind of starting out wise, was these love letters, which you'll hear more about. Um, and at the end, we actually get her to write a love letter to uh, you, the audience, which I think was a really beautiful moment as well. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. So make sure you stick around, listen through the whole thing, uh, and we will go on with that. So, hey, if you like what you hear, make sure to put us on social media and review us and do all that sorts of stuff.
2: Yeah, and check us out on Patreon. We've got we've got the Patreon page, it's patreon.com/cxmh. Yeah, And uh, and support what we're doing. We've been doing this thing for a little while now. We're about to get into the summer season and probably take a little time off. But um, yeah, we would totally appreciate your support if you believe in what we're doing. We're we're just two regular dudes with families and jobs and um we create spare time to do this show For and uh because we love it and we believe in it. But if you uh you got an extra couple of dollars you want to throw our way to say, hey, I believe in what you're doing, we would greatly appreciate it. Absolutely.
1: Well, we will head on into the interview here. Uh Steve, any closing thoughts to the intro? George. <laughs> I got nothing. Mr. Von Schnorkel. All right, well, Mr. we'll go Schnorkel. into it. Uh, this is Robert Voren, George Von Schnorkel, signing off. <laughs> uh, enjoy the interview. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I am so excited. Today, our guest is Hannah Brencher. Hannah is an author, a TED speaker, and an online educator with a heart for building leaders. Her first memoir, if you find this letter, came out in 2015, which you can get in bookstores across the country. Uh, and She's also the founder and creative director of More Love Letters, and we can talk about all that in a second. She's also named as one of the White House's Women Working to Do Good and serves as a spokesperson for the United States Postal Service as well as being featured in publications such as CNN World News, The Wall Street Journal, Oprah.com, and Glamour, among a bunch of others. And probably the best line in this bio, she lives in Atlanta, Georgia, which means that we totally outnumber Steve this week. Hannah, how are you doing?
3: I am doing great. I am so excited to be here, repping Atlanta. (laughs)
1: Yeah, all the cool people on the phone call are from
2: Atlanta. Ha (laughs) ha ha. Ha! That's
1: awesome. Uh, That's great. So Hannah Brencher, but recently kind of hyphenated. How has that been going?
3: Uh, Great. I got married five months ago. Um, So getting used to married life and all of the fun that goes with that, living with somebody and getting to know what each other's strengths and weaknesses are, and it's been so much fun though. I really love it.
1: Oh, good. Is there anything else you want to tell us a little bit about yourself that wasn't in the official bio there, but just some fun facts?
3: Yeah, you know, that, that bio makes me seem so legit. Um, I think just on a normal everyday basis, I, I love living in Atlanta. I moved here three years ago. So I'm originally from Connecticut and then moved down south for the first time. Um, Being in the South is so completely different from living up North my whole entire life. Um, And yeah, I just, I love hanging out with friends. I love cooking. I love uh, lifting weights and yeah, just having a healthy, active lifestyle. And I also love true crime shows. So.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, we can kind of dive in a little bit. Uh, I think the thing probably that you are most known for so far is your first book, If You Find This Letter. And your TED Talk kind of tells the story of some of the background of that. Can you tell us kind of the idea behind that, how that came about?
3: Yeah. So um, the first book, If You Find This Letter, is a memoir based on the experience that I had living in New York City my first year after college. And so I moved to New York City. I kind of had a plan in my mind of what I thought my life was going to look like. I was working for a human rights NGO at the United Nations. I thought that I would be in the field of human rights probably for the next five years, 10 years. Um, but uh, I found myself struggling with a lot of loneliness and a lot of sadness that at the time I had no idea was actually morphing into depression. No one had ever talked to me about depression. I had no idea that depression actually ran in my family. And so um, I was always just looking at it like, okay, just get stronger, like just get over this thing, like stop being a baby, like, mm. and just get over this sadness. And um, as a way of sort of coping with that depression, I started to write letters to people that I would see on the trains in New York City and in different parts of New York City in coffee shops and different places where people congregate. And when I filled a notebook full of these letters, I just decided to rip them out and leave them around New York City. And this is just kind of my own way of dealing with my feelings and letting go of my feelings. And that morphed into something so much bigger when I blogged about it. And I basically said, hey, if you need a letter for whatever reason, I will write you one. And I watched as my inbox filled up with hundreds of people all over the world in need of a love letter. Um, some people going through some really crazy hardships, other people going through just kind of transitions and life changes and a lot of people that were struggling with different things like anxiety and depression and loneliness. And so I spent the next nine months writing about 400 letters to strangers before I built it into a larger organization called More Love Letters that would allow other people to get involved and so that it wouldn't just be my story but the story of a lot of people. And so that's been going on for five years now. And More Love Letters has gone across all 50 states and over 70 countries on 100 college campuses. And um, we've sent out a quarter of a million letters into the world.
1: Wow, that's incredible. And you still still run that organization?
3: Yep. Mm -hmm. It is growing every single day.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. That's incredible. So I think that actually transitions really, really well with what I had reached out to you about because a few weeks back I saw you tweet something and almost instantly hopped over to Facebook and sent you a message because we were friends there already that I wanted to bring you on to talk about this topic. And the tweet you sent was that God uses people to get to you. And I think that's a lot of what these letters were doing is people who needed maybe a a word or a sentence or they just needed somebody to connect with. Maybe this was the way that You know, God said, Hey, I'm going to reach out to people through these love letters. So can you kind of talk about that idea?
3: Totally. Yeah. I definitely think, um, I definitely think that words are a huge role in what lifts people and what breaks people down, if we're being honest here. Um, and you know, I think that especially in a digital age where everything kind of happens on the screen and we text a lot and we email a lot and we don't really write things down anymore. I found that letters are that much more powerful. And so, yeah, I think that I do think that God uses people to get to us and that when we show up and we show up for other people, we don't even realize that sometimes what people need is just, it's so simple and it's just this reminder that they're not alone and that they um, they can overcome something big in their lives. And so we never realize even the ways that we're being used if we don't stay alert and we don't stay present in our everyday life.
2: I love it. I think it's what Brené Brown talks about when she talks about the power of me too of mm-hmm. and of this idea that we're all connected, that we're all we're all going through a journey. We're all, you know, we all are facing struggles or it seems like we're all recovering from something. So the idea that you would that you would reach out to people in this way, it just blows my mind. Are you, can you tell us um maybe one or two of the coolest letters that you've ever been able to write?
3: Yeah. Oh, that's such a hard question. There's so many of them. Um, I think that, goodness, what would I say are my favorite letters I've been able to write? You know, when I first started writing, um, the love letters and I put the po- post out there that basically said if you want a letter for whatever reason, um, I loved getting people who emailed me back and told me their stories and told me like why they needed a letter. But it's always been super special to me when somebody would email and say like, Hey, could you write a letter on behalf of so-and-so who's going through something? And so I think the most powerful letters that I've had the chance to write were the ones where somebody chose to request a letter on behalf of somebody else. And so during that time, you know, I had gotten to write a letter for somebody that had been struggling with like with multiple suicide attempts. And the friend basically had said, you know, like I, if I wrote the letter, th- he would think it was crazy. He would think it was weird. But if the letter comes and like mysteriously that he doesn't know where it comes from. I think that that would be so cool and that would be so powerful. And so that's always been one of my favorite stories. And then like another story that's kind of loosely attached to that was I did a speaking engagement at the University of South Alabama back in 2013, I want to say the date was. Um, and I, I was there and I was speaking for a leadership day and I had somebody come up to me at the end of it. And he said that he had gotten one of those original letters from one of his friends. And it was at a time where he was really struggling and trying to cope with also suicidal thoughts and that that letter showed up at a time where it really was like a saving grace for him and he had no idea that I was going to be there that day and he had no idea even when I started speaking that actually he put two and two together and realized he had gotten one of my letters. It was such a crazy experience that I feel like only God could have orchestrated.
2: Wow. That is super cool. It all comes full circle.
3: Mm, totally. Incredible.
1: So you actually just announced a few weeks ago an exciting announcement related to books, and that is that book number two is in the works, should be out August 2018. Tell us a bit yes. about that. Yeah,
3: Yeah. so the week before, or the week of my wedding, we sold books two and three to Zondervan. Um, so I'm officially with the Zondervan um, home, and really book number two, the name of it is called You Are Here. And it is lessons in showing up to your life with faith over fear, um, especially because fear is something I have dealt with my whole entire life, um, you know, and didn't really know what to call it. Like we said earlier, I, I had no idea that anxiety was a thing and that anxiety can very easily lead into depression. And so um, it had. I had to get to a point in my own faith and my own life where my faith had to be bigger than my fear, where I had to allow God to show up for me and allow other people to show up for me and kind of drop the axe and learn how to root my life and plant my life into bigger things um, that were not instant and they didn't come overnight. And it requires a lot of sacrifice and process and continuing to show up in order to keep things rooted. Um, But I find that that is a life that has been worth living and worth building for me. It was never the instantaneous things and the instant gratitude um, that ever made me feel like life was worth living or worth showing up to.
1: So you mentioned it in there. You've mentioned parts of your story that dealt with depression and anxiety, and you've actually written some on your blog about dealing with those things going to counseling taking medication um especially yeah. one post called 13 thoughts on mental health that uh, I really loved really um, hit me back when that came out I think November October of last mm, year yeah can you tell us some of that journey some of the thoughts that are in that post if you remember some of them you might not it was a while back but um, oh no I
3: remember that yeah post can really you tell crazy. us can you tell <laughs> us
1: about some of that because there were some really powerful things in there
3: yeah you know it's been um, gosh, it's been a struggle. It's been a hard journey. Um, a worthwhile journey, but definitely not one that I could have expected five or six years ago. So yeah, I struggled for the first time with depression when I was living in New York City. Um, the second time that I went through a bout of depression was at the end of 2014. And if I had thought that I'd gone through depression the first time, like I would have to give this a completely different name because it felt completely strange, foreign, and completely different from what I had faced in New York City. And it's crazy because the second time that I went through depression, it really came on like an onslaught. Like one day I was fine and the next day I could feel my life break into two. And I went from being completely, um... I would say like on top of my game and um, like focused, organized, working hard to all of a sudden I could not get out of bed any morning. Out of bed in the morning, I couldn't really use my brain. I started having night terrors every single night. Um, I lost 10 pounds. I was put in the hospital and then we were working towards putting me in an inpatient program because they basically told me it was going to take six to 12 months of intensive rehabilitation therapy to get me back to a normal functioning state. Um, doctors still try to figure out like what was that, what happened? And the best that we've ever been able to come up with is that it was a nervous breakdown that led to a severe depression that basically my brain stopped working and it was only through the help of, um, some really intense therapy, and then the help of medication that I was able to get up to a point of building my life back up. Um, So it was very intense, and it was very scary. And for a long time, I really didn't have words for it. And I really didn't, you know, I I feel like we don't do... um, we really don't talk enough about mental illness within the church and within our circles. I think even in just like um, culture today, we're just starting to have a conversation about depression and mental illness. And that really kind of, um, for lack of a better word, like that really screwed me in the sense that no one had talked to me about it. So I really didn't even know how to go ahead go about fixing it, you know, like I didn't know that I would have to see a therapist for my entire life, or I didn't know that there was a possibility that I might be on medication for my entire life. And I didn't know where to have these open and honest conversations with people because there seems to be such a stigma and such a weight on depression or medication or even talking about these things. And so really in the last, uh, two years of my life, I just kind of had to build a new normal and I've had to start, um, having these conversations and talking about it and sharing what I found. And I found that people have been really open and receptive and thankful that I am sharing about these hard truths. Um, but specifically that post that I had written on the 13 thoughts on mental health, um, that was specifically because I had, found a Christian psychiatrist. And so when we, when I first went through that depression in 2014, we really went to any doctor that could prescribe me an antidepressant that was going to start to kind of do the heavy lifting for me. And I kind of realized, um, seven or eight months into it when I was back on my feet that my, My doctor didn't necessarily care about what she was prescribing me. She didn't seem like she was very concerned and that worried me. Like I don't want you just prescribing something to me and not talking to me about what's going on or talking to me about the options of going off of this medication. And so, um, probably the dumbest thing that I've ever thought about doing was in the middle of planning a wedding I decided I wanted to go off of my medicine because I was really just did not want to have to um, go back to this doctor and uh, very quickly symptoms started coming back and that was when we found a Christian psychiatrist got me in for an appointment and this was the first person that ever kind of like breathed life into me to say like hey like it's okay if you need to be on medicine for the rest of your life. And there's actually not research that says um, with the dosage that you're taking that there would be any negative side effects. And here's how God feels about mental health. And, like, just it felt like for the first time somebody saw me and was like, you're okay, you're doing okay, and, like, you're not broken. Like, you're not, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, this is the lot that you've been given, and so we're going to learn how to walk with it. We're going to learn how to handle it.
2: Oh, my goodness, it makes me want to cry. I love it. I love that you are willing to tell this story. I love that you're talking about the, the line in there that you use in number five in that article is I wanted to know the pathways where God and medication pass one another and overlap. And that's what this whole show is about. That is the whole reason that Robert and I started this show is for those people who find themselves in in the middle of the intersection between mental health and faith, mental health and specifically Christianity. And you're standing in the intersection and cars are zooming by and you're going, oh my God, where? what do I hold on to? Where's grounding? How does Jesus fit in the middle of this trauma crisis? Whatever I face right now, where do I find God in the dark, and that's this post. It's just so good. Robert sent it to me um, earlier, and it's it's just fantastic. Um, I also love the part in there where you talk about working out. I have um, just been on a, a fitness journey for about the last seven months, and I mm-hmm. have talked often about how it has transformed me. I won't say that exercise has healed my depression by any means, but oh my gosh, it has changed my life. So I love that you talk about that too. That's such a great balance.
3: Oh, it's huge. It's, I mean, the, and I think it's in that article where she said that the working out was going to be medicinal. It was going to be one of the most medicinal things that I could do apart from taking this dosage. And so uh, she said, you know, you need to be working out five days a week, 45 minutes um, a day. And so I'm the type of person where it's like, you give me a challenge, and I know that this is going to work for me, then I, I'm i good to go. That's all you need to do. And I will stick to it. And so um, it probably took me like, I would say seven or eight months to get to the point of doing five days a week. Um, but I've seen it be such an improvement in my health and in my mind. And you're right, it, it does. I can't say like it, it cures everything or that I haven't had a depressed day. But at the same time, I have found that taking care of my health um, through exercise and through food have been two of the most groundbreaking things for me to feel like I'm to feel like I'm handling depression. And that's kind of like my I would say my biggest thing that I'm an advocate for is language and how we use language. Um, I used to say all the time, like, I am struggling with depression or I'm suffering from depression. And I realized I was kind of letting the depression own me when I used that verbiage. But if I say something like, I am dealing with depression, I am handling my depression, it puts me in control. It puts me and God in control. And so I've had to be really careful with the language that I'm using because I'm not going to become a victim to my depression. That's just not going to be the story for my life. Mm-hmm. I believe God God gave me this depression and that that seems a little bit crazy. Um, I probably would have never claimed that at the beginning of this journey. But I think like I always look back to that story of Jacob in the Bible where Jacob wrestles through the night with God. And at the end of the wrestling, when the sun is coming up, like God basically just touches Jacob's hip and it's dislocated out of his socket. And for the rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp. And yet you never see it referenced in the scripture again. Like you never see Jacob talking about his limp or complaining about his limp. And And so I feel like depression is my limp. It is the thing that lets me know that like I have wrestled with God and he is closer to me than ever before. But I'm never going to say like, Lord, take this limp away from me. And if you don't, you're not good because I find that that's how I get closest to God. And why would he take away the one thing that draws me closer to him than ever?
1: What does that look like? Because if that is the place where you uh, feel closest to God, but I'm I'm willing to bet that that is one of the hardest things throughout mm. your life, right? So what does that look like to meet God in the hardest place and for that to be where you feel closest to him? Because a, a lot of times I feel like we find God in celebration and in things like that, but what does it look like to kind of have the other side of that?
3: Well, I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, like earlier, about like God uses other people to get to you. And so during those times, like, I remember like going and sitting with my Bible and like sitting and worshiping and all this stuff. And it was so hard. Like, it is hard to get yourself to a posture of worship or a posture of reading scripture when you are in a depressed state of mind, you know? Like, and everything in the Bible seems depressing when you're depressed. Um, but I have found that the ways in which I feel the presence of God the most is when I lean into other people. And usually when I'm depressed, it's the last thing that I want to do. Like, I just want to be able to isolate myself and push myself away. And I feel like during the first time that I went through depression, I really did isolate myself because I was living away from home and I didn't have close friends and um, I was out of college. And so I had every chance to isolate myself. The second time that I went through depression, I really fought alongside my friends and my family. And I feel like we reached a new level of vulnerability because I couldn't do anything about my suffering. Like I just had to go through it and they had to be with me in that. And so I learned that like that's how God shows up most intensely is through other people. Um, But we have to be willing to lean in and ask for help and lean on other people instead of choosing the natural response, which is isolate and get over this on my own or sit and wallow on my own. Um, And I mean, I've never felt more surrounded during that time. And I look back and I think that's the time that I felt his presence the most. But it was because he sent people to do the holding and to do the making of cups of tea and to like never leave me alone in that depression.
0: I
2: think it is fascinating. It's so interesting. It. If I'm being totally honest, I struggle really hard with the God gave me depression, but I also know what it's like to be at the end of the rope. I attempted suicide about five years ago mm-hmm. and I absolutely get this idea that it can be like, like I think about, you were talking about Jacob wrestling with God, right? And in the spot where he was wounded, that is also the spot where he found healing. So I totally get that. When I woke up in the ICU room, shocked I mean shocked there was no way that I was supposed to be there there was no way I was supposed to make it there was no way I was supposed to be alive and I hated everybody I hated myself I could not believe that I was still here and over the course of those three days in ICU trying to figure out if my liver was gonna fail trying to regain feeling in my legs I felt, as crazy as it sounds, I felt the hand of God on my chest, and I heard Jesus say, I'm not finished with you yet. Okay. So I know, I totally get what you're saying from the standpoint of it being the darkest hell, but being able to find God in the dark. I think it's a really, it's a it's a powerful thing. I would have to wrestle with that one line, Um But, but I, I think I get where you're coming from with that. Thank you for sharing. Well, and
3: I don't, I don't mean it in the sense of like, I don't, like, I don't think of God up in heaven being like, Oh, and you get this and you get this and you get this. But what I want to be really careful about is that I had so many people during that depression, as I'm sure you guys can relate to that said, well, if you just had more faith, you would step out of this, you know, and it was that was the hardest thing for me. was like, I have faith and I believe in God and I believe that God is good. And yet this is still happening. And like no amount of like, let's pray this away, made it go away. And so I just, I believe like it's not an accident. Like that wasn't an accident. And God saw me through that. And like, if, if I go through it again, like I, he will see me through it again. And so I, the reason that I, I say it or I word it like that is because people make it seem like, um, I mean, my mom has wrestled with this a lot. We talked about it the other day and she's like, people will say like, oh, depression is a sin or fear is a sin. And like what I went through, I cannot look at that and be like, oh yeah, that's a sin. And that's because I did not have enough faith. And so sure. I try to talk about that openly because of the fact that I meet a lot of young women and a lot of young men who have been told that, who believe that, who wear that around in their life when it's just, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Yeah. Like. God stands with you in that, but like God is not looking at you being like, Man, if you just believed me more, this wouldn't be happening. Like that's not the God of the Bible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think honestly, the the phrasing of that line, either either kind of either way you come from with that, I agree where the hardest things that I've walked through, which you know, for me has been similarly depression and, and suicidal thoughts and things like that, the Coming through the other side of that, I've found a faith that is bigger than the faith I had before because it accounts for or it it, it works through I figured out how to have a faith that works through the darkest times and so it's a bigger mm, faith yeah. than I had before. So regardless of the phrasing of it, God worked through it, you know, which yes. I think is is scriptural.
2: It reminds me of JJ Landis, who's a, a big friend of the show. JJ wrote a memoir about life after her mom's uh, suicide, and she she talks about her mom's death, and then she talks about growing up as a twelve year old girl with no mom, and knowing what happened that her mom died in the garage because she took her own life, and she says, "But I didn't just take a magic Jesus pill, and suddenly oh. everything was better." So I think that's what you're saying too. It, totally, it, and it's good Lord, it's what I preach every day that. Mm-hmm in recovery, it's not just a prayer of faith. It's not just, you know, a cross on your forehead and, and, and loving God through it and, and, you know, snapping your fingers and suddenly you're healed. It takes honesty and therapy and medication and all of these other things, along with working out your faith daily. So yeah, I think that's fantastic.
3: Totally, yeah. I agree.
1: Yeah, and I, I even think when we're talking about this idea that God works through people, If we're, Man, I have such a hard time with – because when you get surgery or something like that, people will say, oh, thank God for the surgeons and things like that. But for some reason, there's this distinction of, well, a a psychiatrist or a counselor, God can't be working through them, which I don't – I can't comprehend why that would be any different. So like for me, I Mm -hmm. fully believe that going to counseling, A, I probably wouldn't be alive had I never gotten to counseling, but B, that because I've I've gotten healthier and and I feel like I'm living a more whole life – because of that, that absolutely God was working through counselors and through psychiatrists and through people, you know, in those types of things as well. You know, I don't know why it's any different in our in our minds than the doctor or the surgeon or things like that.
3: Totally. Yeah. And I think that I had written about that in my 13 thoughts about um, my, he was my fiance at the time. Now my husband had, you know, he was someone that kind of was like, but like, this is medication is a modern day miracle. And like, he basically was like, you know, like miracles are happening all the time. We're just like not seeing them because we're not always seeing them in the context of, of the Bible, you know, of, of what we've seen in the Bible and how big those miracles were. But miracles are still happening every single day. And I think that for me, like modern medicine has been a miracle to me. Like it allows me to like it allows me to be with people and it allows me to be in love and it allows me to be able to like read the Bible and have the truth stick for me. Because I mean, I would sit in the Bible for hours upon hours upon hours, just looking for any shred of joy. And it didn't come naturally for me. And like, I struggled so long with people saying that, like, Joy was a fruit of the spirit because of the fact that like, if you just, you spend time with God, like that joy will happen. And I was like, I don't know that I could spend any more time with God. And this is not happening naturally, naturally for me. But you know, like when you get into like the medical science of it, everything and you find out like, okay, you have, you have depleted serotonin levels, which means it is harder for you to experience joy. And this is something that can help you with that. Like, I would never have anybody in the world take that away from me the way that like when I first started taking a medication that worked for me, all of a sudden, it was like the fog was lifted off of my life. And I was like, have I really been seeing the world through these dark class glasses for this long? Like, is this really what I've been missing out on? Like these feelings that I just told myself, like, you're just an anxious person, and you'll always be an anxious person. Now I know that I know medication works differently for other people, and I've definitely tried medications that have worked and some that haven't worked. But um, this specifically has been a fit for me that has allowed me to, like, fit and feel my life, um, but also be able to enjoy my life in a way that I have never been able to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I want to ask, I think we've touched on it briefly, but this idea in, in the post is also you write a bit about Job, which to me is one of the most impactful stories in the Bible. But you talk about this idea that although some things get restored for Job, that it's not the things that were before. And so after going through all this, he maybe finds himself in a better spot, but that it looks completely different than it was before. A, what is the tattoo that you have about Job? Because I love that. And B, what does that look like in terms of things that, even if you're on the other side of them in your life, that look completely different than they did before? Who? Um,
3: yeah, that was the psychiatrist, the psychiatrist that had talked to me about Job and kind of like, well, what was, like, what was the purpose of Job, you know? And I'd never really kind of seen it from that, that the end for her was that about like, you know, like, not everything did get restored, but he did learn how much God loved him. Um, which is hard to wrestle with, I think, um, because we like the stories where everything gets restored in the end. And I think that, you know, like, I don't like, I, I don't know where I fully land on everything and, and people that go through really hard things and like where God is in all of that, you know, like that's still hard for me. I've ever learned in my own faith is to be able to say like, I don't know yet, as in like, I don't know now and I might not know in the future, but like, I'm still going to stay seeking the answers. and not having all the answers has been really freeing for me in that sense. um to let God be bigger than me. If God wasn't mysterious, I probably wouldn't need him if I could figure him out in ten minutes. Um, but yeah, I got. Um I got the word gold tattooed on the back of my neck from um Job 23:10 and the verses for he knows the way I take and when he has tested me I will come forth as gold. And so I really prayed for a long time that I would be tested. I don't know why I prayed for that because like <laughs> Lord he will test you. Um uh but before I moved to Atlanta that was kind of like my life verse. Um throughout writing the first book and kind of moving to Atlanta was like I know that I'm going to come out of this as gold, like, and I know I'm going to go through testing and I'm going to go through trials. And somebody had actually told me before I moved to Atlanta, she said, you know, like, um, I think that God is going to do so much with you in Atlanta, but I think he's going to, I think he's going to strip you and he's going to gut you and he's going to refine you. And like, this is going to be your refining fire. All of words I had never heard in my life before. I mean, I became a Christian when I was 22. So still a lot of the terminology, I was like, what does that even mean? You know? Like, why would God take me somewhere to strip me and gut me? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, But, I mean, that woman that said that to me, like, could not have predicted any more clear what I was going to go through um, my first six months in Atlanta, living in a new place and really... Going through that refinement period, um, it was hard, but in the end, I learned, like, that's the way that gold gets made, like, it has to be put under fire. And what I loved, um, the thing that I learned during that whole process, because I studied the process of making gold throughout it, um, was that... I think my favorite thing is that even when like the metals are undergoing the fire, like the person that is holding the flame on them, like never takes his eye off of the flame, like knows exactly where it's being pointed and knows exactly how long it needs to stay there. And so that gave me a really comforting picture of like, even though God might be allowing this fire to come into my life. Um, like he knows exactly when it's going to end and exactly what it's going to do for me and exactly who it's going to make me when I walk out of this. Um, there's a really great book uh, by Timothy Keller. Um, I think it's like walking through pain and struggling. Um, and he, I mean, he makes the fire and the gold metaphor throughout the whole entire book. So I definitely recommend that book.
1: I think it's so funny you made that comment about the uh, the language there because I I think in the past like two years of my life because I've grown, grown up in church my entire life but in the past two years I've started to really pay attention to like the Christianese language we use and sometimes I go oh, yeah. what uh, does that even mean like the I, things that I we toss I've never around heard of that.
3: I was like what is a refining fire like but then like if you like Google it you'll find these really jankity, like jpeg websites from like 1998 (laughs) like the flames and everything but like Mm. yeah we use a lot of terminology that i think if we're not careful it makes it seem like there's some secret club that we're all a part of where like language becomes a barrier for other people being curious about our faith
2: yeah man i don't understand i've never heard any of that (laughs)
3: I feel like okay. <laughs> okay. All right. And I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> okay. I was like, I was like, you've never heard somebody be like, oh, you're totally in the valley right now. And I'm like, what is the valley? What do oh, you mean? Oh, it's
2: just a dry season. It's just a dry season. And you're like, what <laughs> on earth? Lord, get, we just pray me. for
1: a hedge of protection. Just really yeah. some tall shrubs.
3: Yes. And traveling mercies. Traveling <laughs> yeah. mercies. Oh, oh, which is a
2: great book by Anne Lamont. Oh, oh my, my
3: gosh the best
2: yes so good okay Wait, can we
3: talk about how much we love Anne Lamott because oh, she I is like
2: just saw her live less than a month ago front row oh. she is my spirit animal and she could be my oh. grandma and oh my gosh yes
3: I'm obsessed I just finished her book hallelujah anyway so, yes, good. so good I
2: mean I might have an autographed copy but whatever go ahead <laughs>
3: That's okay. I have an autographed copy copy of Little Victories. We're, we're okay. Oh,
2: that's good, too. That's good, too. Okay, I want to talk. So I don't think that we planned on working through this entire article, Hannah, today, no. but... <laughs> we totally <laughs> didn't well, in the more notes more that I section. have. <laughs> hey. I, but you mentioned the not knowing. And the not knowing seems to be less about mental health than any other part of this article, but it's my favorite only because of where I'm at right now. So you talked about just, you know, becoming a Christian at 22. I, like Robert, have been in the church my entire life and I'm, uh, I'm about to turn 35 and I'm at this place of not knowing. And I've been in this not knowing place since about the age of 22, but only in the last six months have I started owning it and saying, Hey, I got a lot of questions and I just wrote an article on my blog today about thrift shop faith and not wanting to recycle or repurpose the faith of my parents and grandparents. But I need this thing to be my own. And so I love this section in here where you talk about not knowing God and you talk about your relationship with Lane and it's, it's Hmm. just fantastic. Can we talk some about what that looks like for you?
3: Totally. I mean, that is a huge theme in my second book, um, especially because, you know, coming into faith when you're 22, like, this is not something that, like, I was really raised in. Like, my mom was the only believer um, in the house, and she kind of, she did the whole, like, you can go to church until you don't feel like going to church anymore. And none of her children really continued to pursue the Lord, you know? And my brother...
2: How do you feel about that? (laughs) How do you feel about that? Because... We grew up, I grew up in a family where you had to be at church, period. And now I have two young kids and we're sort of wrestling with, with that very thing of, you know what? I don't want to force them to go. What do you think about that and go?
3: Well, okay. So, I mean, I look back and I'm, I'm thankful that she kept such a loose hand on it because of the fact that it really allowed me to come into my own faith, um, that I never felt like it was forced upon me. But, Also, I mean, like when I did go to church, though, to be honest, I never felt like we really were the family that fit in, you know, like I didn't understand, okay, like here are like I mean, mainly two parents sitting in the pews with their kids. My dad wasn't at, my dad wasn't at church, um, didn't choose to go to church with us. Actually, like, became a Christian several years ago and now goes to church with my mom. Um, but like, after 26 years of marriage, of her going to church by herself. And, you know, on top of that, you know, my brother, um, he's been a drug addict for the last 16 years. And so when my mom would be like pulling out her Bible every single day and like going to study, I just couldn't understand it. Like I didn't understand why she rested so heavily in this God guy when like, I wouldn't look at her life and be like, wow, he's being particularly good to you, you know? Oh my and so, gosh. wow. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, like my dad, my dad was an alcoholic up until the age of eight. And like, I didn't even know this until like a few years ago. Like we're a family that like, we just like, we don't talk about what's broken and like um, that's, It's hard, but, like, at the same time, like, that's my family. I love them. I have nothing against my family. And what's even harder was that, you know, people would say because my father wasn't a believer growing up, like, that, you know, I never had a spiritual leader. And I would reject that completely because, you know, when my mom and dad had that conversation of you either pick the alcohol or you pick me, my dad stopped cold turkey. He has never touched a drop of alcohol since then because he wanted to show up, provide for his family, and make sure that we never wanted anything. in our lives. Now, that, to me, is the clearest depiction of God the Father that I've ever gotten from a man who would Mm. tell you he did not believe up until a few years ago. So it was a very hodgepodge faith. Um, Add on top of that, that when I went to college and started to have all the existential questions, I ended up getting sucked into a mind-control-based cult um, that toted itself as Christianity. So like that's for another day. But basically- Man, that's wait,
1: fun.
2: Wait, what? (laughs)
3: Oh, my was, gosh. How can you say that for another day?
1: <laughs> yeah, hey, just what? toss that in there, and then <sighs> we'll move on.
3: I know, and it's such a huge pillar of my faith. I didn't talk about it for a really long time, though, because I felt like I was I was really going to go to hell if I talked about it. They were very, like, scary and very um, shame-based and guilt-based and did it all in the name of Jesus. Now, that will jack a person up for sure, Yeah. Um, And so when I like went searching for God and found that on my campus, it ended up being exposed, banned from my campus. Several girls were saved from going through the same exact thing that I had gone through. I really was like, "Mm, no, I'm done with this God thing. Like I've got no interest in this. And it wasn't until like those questions kept nagging at me. And I still felt like God was real that when I moved to New York, I said, God, like, I'm not going to open a Bible. I'm not going to go to a church. Like you're going to have to be real to me through people. And like God did that, you know? And so what happened though, is that, you know, God really kind of softened my heart. Another thing that, what does that even mean? I'm not sure. And yet I'm saying it. Um, but, uh, led me back into like trying to explore the church, became a part of a church, moved to Atlanta, became a part of another church. And I would say it wasn't until I went through this past depression that I realized exactly what you were just saying about like, oh my gosh, Like I don't want this to be a spoon-fed faith. I don't want to accept X, Y, and Z just because somebody told me to accept X, Y, and Z. And it's like the metaphor that I make in the, or the analogy that I make about, you know, like getting to know Lane for the first time. And that if I want to get to know somebody and fall in love with somebody, like I don't just blindly accept whatever somebody tells me about that person. I go and I get to know them better on my own. Like now that's a little bit more difficult because like, you know, God... Doesn't always speak as loudly. You can't really sit next to like a body and be like, that's God. But at the same time, I think that's the most beautiful element of my faith. And what I really love is that, like, like I said earlier, it's a mystery for me. And there are some things that I see on the news and I see in daily life. And I think, man, I don't have the answers for that. And I don't know where God is in that. And that's one of the reasons that I love Anne Lamott because she doesn't sugarcoat it. Like she just will tell you (laughs) where she just doesn't know where God is hanging out. And like, I love that about her because it's like, man, if we cannot have a giant honesty hour about our faith, like what is the point? Like if I can't wrestle with this faith of mine and like get closer and deeper with it because of the questions, like what is the point of faith and why would it take me a whole why would it take me a whole entire lifetime if I'm just blindly accepting answers from people? Like you got to be willing to go and dig and ask the questions and like put your life on the line for that. And you know, I think like sometimes I think like what if I get to the end of my life and it's like, what if it isn't even real? Like who knows? And like, I would still say at the end of it, like I would be thankful that I invested my whole entire life into this because it's been a more beautiful road like knowing and believing that like God is with me and God is for me and God is for other people.
1: Gosh, I'm, I was about to go like full charismatic and standing up and yelling amen. But <laughs> I don't think it would get the quite the full effect over Skype audio, okay, so I have <laughs> one last thing to ask you about honestly we could talk I could talk to you all day because scrolling through your Twitter feed earlier it's like every third thing I want to ask you about because it's so awesome. um but you tweeted recently about telling your story honestly, which obviously you do a lot of writing, and Steve and I both try to do with with our writing, and you tweeted this, you tweeted have the courage to tell someone the story beneath the story, what you really feel when the world isn't watching. And then you said you hold people at arm's length if you only ever share with them stories you know how to tell by heart. What do you you mean by that?
3: Um, I mean, I think that that's something that I'm personally kind of even walking through myself right now, like with the second book, but also like in life and establishing community and figuring out, like, what does community look like as adults and as married people, you know, and I think that, like, I can so easily slip into a spot of, like, um being like, you know what, I'm good, I'm fine, it's me, it's God, it's my little inner circle, and then I don't want to let more people in. And um I felt like the only way to gain trust with other people is to actually, like, it's to entrust them with things, you know, like it's to tell them stories, it's to see how they react. It's to like, hold your breath and hope at the end of it, like they're somebody who is trustworthy. And um, like, sometimes they will be and sometimes they won't be. Um, but I think that if I'm always just walking around with like this perfectly polished story, then that's like, That's not the truth of where I'm really at because I I don't think I've ever come to a point in my life where I'm like, yes, everything around me is great and it's awesome and there's nothing wrong. Like there's always something that I have to work through. Like faith always keeps my hands full. Um, But what was I, I had a thought and I just lost it and I'm going to try to think (laughs) of it again. Oh yes. Okay. I was just writing about this uh, for the book the other day, but about how, um, Man, this was another thing when I walked into church. I didn't understand, uh, why everybody always wanted to talk about their testimonies and like the moment when they first met God. And so like, I have this like, Really great testimony of, you know, like, it's very romantic. It was a church in Chelsea, New York City. I was standing on the balcony. It was raining outside. Like, that's where I met Jesus for the first time. I've had so many people ask me that story over and over and over again. Even at one point, like, two girls read about it in my book, emailed me, and asked me if they could go visit the church in which I gave my life to Jesus. Now, what I realized, though, like, going through this depression, coming out on the other side of it, um, I was watching The Bachelor one night, which is where all my holiest moments happen. Yes. Um, and And the girl said on there, she said that she had met this guy on a plane. And the whole time that she was dating him for several years, she was waiting for her feelings to catch up to that meeting on a plane story. Because everybody always loved the how we met story. But like, Everybody was so wrapped up in it that like they didn't even realize like she wasn't falling in love with this guy. She was just in love with the story of how they met. Mm. And I didn't want to get to a place where I only ever had the how we met story with God or I only ever walked around asking people how God and them met and hearing these stories and so I've just like I've started to ask different questions you know like asking the questions like so where are you now and what are you wrestling with and like what is your favorite thing about faith and what is the thing that you just can't wrap your head around because God's not afraid of those questions and I think probably God the God that I know would be the one breathing a sigh of relief being like thankfully you guys are having an honest talk about this the things that you the things you understand the things you don't understand i think if we can't have those honest conversations then i don't know turns into i don't really believe in this and so like i think we'd be surprised to find that so many of us are living in questions that we're just afraid to ask Man, can I we think-
2: please be friends forever <laughs> like <Yes>. oh <laughs> my gosh what for real
1: i was just gonna say ah. i I, for a while, I've had like this aversion to when people share testimonies. And I, it always made me feel like, I don't know, there's something wrong with me that I don't love hearing that. And I think it's what you just said. It's because I'm essentially listening to like a highlight reel of like the beginning, and then we'll like maybe gloss over it. Maybe we'll say, like, here are the things that was hurting. And then I met God, and then. happily forever after and I always want to stand up and say now what like where does it go from there and I think you just put
3: words around what I've been feeling so yes I mean like most of those stories are church camp when you were 11 which doesn't mean it's not beautiful but like you're now 38 years old you know (laughs) I'm gonna need
2: you to live a little bit and then let's talk yeah Yeah, like,
3: man, like the liturgist podcast. I don't know if you guys listen oh, to that, but gosh,
2: like we had Mike on a few weeks ago. Love them. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, uh, like the lost and found series is like the most beautiful thing that I've ever listened to because like, I don't like, I, I think the whole entire Bible is a lost and found story. And I think that God places yeah. so much like, like beautiful context in the stories of being lost and found. And I think like, man, we need to be willing to talk about when we're lost because if you don't ever tell people that you're lost, like they don't know how to find you.
1: Mm, That's so good. Well, Hannah, we want to thank you so much for being here today. If you want to connect with Hannah, you can check out her website, hannahbrencher.com. Read some of the blogs, things there. You can find her on social media at Hannah You can buy her first book if you find this letter on Amazon. There'll be links in the show notes for all of that as well as check out more love letters and the million things that Hannah does, all of which she does awesome. If you want to connect with Steve, you can find him online at gracesmessy.com or on social media at I am Steve Austin. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at robert-vor.com or on social media at Robert Vor. Hannah, do you have any closing thoughts for us as we
2: end up here?
3: I, I think we covered it. I'm pretty sure we talked about everything in life. Um,
2: I would <laughs> oh my close- gosh, no! We have to end with a love letter. Will you? Will you? Ooh. Will you oh. leave our listeners a little love letter?
3: Oh goodness! Like verbally, out oh, loud? Yeah. Um, Let's do.
2: <laughs> on the spot.
3: Heck wow. yeah! Wow. I I actually had to do this in the. Um, I had to do this in the Delta Sky Lounge the other day. I got two free drinks for the flight for doing it. Um, <laughs> uh, we
1: could. I don't. We could mail Robert's in do? Atlanta. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm in Atlanta. That's,
2: yeah. that's easy enough. It's it's done.
3: Oh no, you guys, you don't have to. Don't worry. Delta has its own thing, so uh, they own me. Um, yeah, you know. Okay, so like verbally, like speaking love letter. Um, try right, to make who this are not stu- cheesy.
2: Stuck in the dark. In maybe the midst of depression or bipolar, schizophrenia, whatever, but they feel stuck in the dark of mental health and they're trying to find God. They need a letter.
3: I love that. Okay, well then I'm gonna like verbally dictate a story, basically. Um, so this is to anybody out there who's listening that needs a pseudo love letter. Um, my my favorite words, um, as simple as they are, are the words "you're okay." And the reason that I love these words so much is because my mom told me a story about how when my little cousin was born... Um my cousin and his girlfriend, uh, she was born with one kidney, one functioning kidney, and he told my mother this story about how he would run downstairs to the ICU and he would press his fingers against the glass and he would say, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay to the little baby and then he'd run back upstairs and then he'd run downstairs a few minutes later and he would say the same thing, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. And so we told my mother this story and last Christmas when my brother was in the hospital um, for a drug- Drug overdose. He was having seizure after seizure. We honestly didn't know if he was going to make it or not. My mother told me that she just grabbed onto his hand and she kept saying it over again You're okay, you're okay, you're okay. And so the words seem really simple, but at the same time, I think we don't pass him along. Like, enough in our daily lives. And so if somebody hasn't told you in a while that you're okay, like let this be the note that you're doing okay and you woke up today and got dressed. And maybe that's the biggest victory that you have today. But, but that's okay because it's a lie that anybody ever told you that you needed to be thriving all the time, that you needed to always be on top of it. And I would always say that I like to end these things with a little bit of practicality, but don't be afraid to tell somebody if you're struggling or if you're having a hard time or if you're feeling like you're in the dark, don't keep that to yourself and don't feel like that's something that is meant to be kept to yourself because people don't know to show up with light if you don't tell them that you're in the dark. And so just a reminder that you're okay today and let somebody know if if you're struggling. So that's my verbal love letter. (laughs)
1: that's amazing thank you so much that's
2: beautiful that's gonna just give hope and love and ah warm hug like olaf to somebody who needs it
3: oh i love that
1: (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for taking the time out today to talk to us Uh, it's been honestly just a, a great conversation so i'm really excited for people to hear it thank you for joining us
3: of course thank you
0: thanks for listening to the cxmh podcast You are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.